you probably have a bit of an ego. If you can just let go of that to be able to zoom out of your situation, that might be the thing that's holding you back from being a good marketer. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the podcast. Basman san, are you with me today? You're all kinds of energy. Yeah, I'm with you. I got energy, man. Good for you. Got no kids. <laughs> I get it. I know, man. I slept great last night. Sorry. <laughs> oh man. Help, help. <laughs> Let's not get into that topic this episode. Today we are going to talk about something believed to be at the corner of any successful business. Today we're going to talk about the hustle. Do you remember years ago we did this episode called The Tao of the Hustle? Yeah. We're going to do a little bit of a reprise here today, hit some new angles, and talk about this important part of any journey into entrepreneurship, which is, of course, what we talk about here at the podcast. And to help us out, listener Rob was so kind to reach out to us via voicemail and share with us a little bit about his situation. So let's roll that tape now. Hey guys, my name is Rob Sanchez, and I really appreciate everything you've done for me through this podcast. I've got a question for you. So I've consistently approached my businesses by building a product first because that's what I know and enjoy. However, since I failed to establish a proper distribution channel before launching, the product inevitably goes nowhere as I flounder around trying to battle my inexperience and insecurities with hustling. I consider this to be my biggest Achilles heel at the moment, and I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on the following. If I'm not a natural-born hustler who enjoys going out and finding and securing leads for this business, should I work on improving that weakness or focus on maximizing my superpower of product design and either partner or hire someone with the sacred skill of the sale? I'm really excited to get your thoughts. Thanks again, guys. All right, first off, Rob, let's acknowledge the obvious that you have done us a great service today by giving us something to talk about. <laughs> now, whether or not we're going to do you a great service today is much more in doubt. What Rob's doing here by like reaching out, being honest about a situation, that to me is what you got to do. Because we're all in, in this situation in one way or another, is that we're facing a challenge that's very difficult. And we're not sure how to proceed. Rob, you're in that situation right now. Me and Ian are in that situation in our business. So welcome to the club. So just to address the question, Ian, Rob is a product guy. He has failed to establish proper distribution channels You know, as he's building the product. You know, A simple way to think about any business, Ian, is that it's almost like a little what are those like Mad Libs, you know, where you can like fill in? So here's my like lifestyle business Mad Lib. What is the problem that you solve? How do you solve it uniquely? And 
then this is the thing Rob's pointing to. What distribution channel do you use to expose it to your target audience? You have those three things. You can basically sort of describe a business. And you know, this distribution channel idea, I thought about it a lot. And I do think it's, it's an important sticking point. It's an important idea in any business, which is how are you going to get in front of people? You know, for us, Ian, it was the breakthrough of you don't have to have a brick and mortar. You can have a space on Google. You know, every town has a main street. Well, every keyword in Google has a main street as well. And it's called Google's top 10 search rankings. And if you can get a spot on that main street, that's a distribution channel. And nowadays, there's a, there's a million distribution channels. But choosing your channel and how you're going to have an edge on that channel is actually really critical in the early days of a business. Often, it's the channel that comes first and the product that comes second because you see the opportunity on the channel. I'm thinking about this idea of like being a, a really good product maker versus a really good product marketer. And not to speak to Rob, I'll just speak about myself. I thought I was a really good product designer. Can I offer a vignette? Yeah. You definitely thought you were a good product designer, and I'll tell you why. Because before you allowed me to view your portfolio, you made me sign an NDA. Yeah. And get this, audience, please see the situation I'm in here. This young guy had never had a job before, <laughs> sends me this resume. I'm hiring him, not the other way around. And now he's sending me this thing like, this guy wants me to sign an NDA? You got to be kidding me. Bro, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Did products in that portfolio eventually go to market <laughs> and make you good money? I must admit that that did happen. So you were right. Can you imagine if somebody got a hold of that thing? Would have been a disaster. It's fair to say that you were good at figuring out products and designing them. So fair enough. I don't think I was by any stretch of the imagination the best. And the reason I bring that up is because you know the best products sell themselves, right? People will immediately recognize that and say like, oh my gosh, they like added a screen that's never been added before. They made the part out of titanium. Like something revolutionary happened to make this like the product to have now. It's kind of a rare occurrence basically. But the products that most of us create, like the products that I created, they don't sell themselves. You have to go out there and figure out how you're going to sell them. So here's how we're going to approach this episode, Ian. And I want to follow up on that point, but I, I want to make sure we're letting the listeners know what we're doing today. Today, we are going to talk about six paths to the Tao of the hustle. So we're going to talk about six new elements or six fresh ways of thinking about hustle and its relationship to your product, your business, your personality, whatever. Because whatever hustle is, we know it's important. But to your point, Ian, I do think that there is this continuum. It's a gradient scale. And you're right. Great products, the iPhone. Occasionally, I will go back and look at Steve Jobs' keynote. I remember seeing it at the time and just being like, I am buying this. I took off work to buy the iPhone, Ian. Yeah. Because it was a great product. Now, there's a continuum. Here's a little pet theory I'll launch on the show. I think there's a reason why business coaches and self-development coaches, there's a reason like there's so much coaching in like marketing services and like 
basically businesses that you can start in a weekend or like that don't have like a clear product that's it's all about like sales and marketing and mindset and leadership and all this kind of stuff. Well, it's because like the product sucks. So it then comes down to the entrepreneur. This is an interesting thing you see in our community a lot, which is like the easiest businesses to start often require the smartest and most dedicated entrepreneurs to run because like there's not that clear product differentiation. Like for example, personally, I think building a meaningful SEO consulting business, although like very accessible and totally doable and all this kind of stuff, it's really freaking hard. People are looking for answers. And because the product hasn't established itself with a marketplace because it's so compelling, then all of a sudden the answer must be, oh, well, I suck. You know, like I don't know how to sell. I don't know how to grow a business. Therefore, I'll look for answers down that way. And I think to your point, Ian, sometimes the answer can be found within the product. Like if you come across something really great in an industry, you know, now all of a sudden the question isn't about, like, what does my funnel look like? How am I optimizing this and that? And the other thing, it's like, well, is the product great? And has it found its audience? And how can we improve that? And to further that point, I just want to go back and say, I thought I was an excellent product designer, right? But I was just pretty good at it. I was also just like pretty good at the marketing in the beginning too. And, you know, we ended up with a good little size business. And I think that that's great. Don't exclude yourself from being a great marketer or a great product designer or being actually both because I think they're just learned skills, you know? It just takes some time to get there. Speaking of getting there, let's talk today about the six paths or six ways to the hustle. The first point is don't let the inevitable get you down as the path you've chosen is for life. Speaking to Rob's situation directly, you're only in this situation, Rob, because you are a hustler. Hustlers reach impasses and they struggle to break through. Most people don't ask these kinds of questions, right? Like trying to figure out how to build something from absolutely nothing is not the project of most people in society. And so the fact that we're banging our head against this wall it's exactly where a hustler is going to find themselves. This is absolutely the price of entry. And it doesn't really go away, Rob. You know, Ian and I were banging our heads against our own version of this wall this week. My message to you is, first off, don't let it get you down. And understand that this itself is part of the process. I remember this like happening with our uh, valet podiums that we used to manufacture. We made some tweaks that made our products superior to the other ones on the market. And eventually, our customers knew it. Eventually, the industry knew it. And we became the number one supplier for those types of products. But I just want to give Rob something here to think about and everybody that thinks that they're not a good salesman or a good marketer. Again, like your product doesn't have to be excellent. It doesn't have to be the iPhone for it to be better than the other ones. I remember like a couple conversations And I wasn't a great salesperson at the time. I was just learning that skill too, like Rob and a lot of other people are. But I remember having a couple conversations talking with buyers and just pointing out the features. So it's like, hey, you know the product you used to buy? Well, it has this feature and it sucks. Here's how we improved it. That's sales. That's marketing, right? It doesn't take anything except for pointing out what you've done and creating a better product. 
And I love that because it's all of a sudden now you're at an impasse and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I got to do this like sort of giant vague hustle thing. And you're just like, no, I just pointed out the feature. And I actually see this in the, strangely enough, in the podcasting world all the time, because people always come to us and they're like, how do you grow a show? Like, how do you grow the listeners? How do you, and people will come to you and they, they have done a crap ton of episodes, Ian. They've interviewed everybody on the planet and everything. And they're pumping out these shows and they're like, I did this to grow my audience. I like hacked into this thing and I emailed these people and I did this tactic that I read about here and all this stuff. And my question to them is always, why is your show better than the other ones? Like, it doesn't need to be a grandiose answer. In our case, when we first started this show, we weren't like, hey, we're going to be Howard Stern. We're going to be like great radio people or whatever. We were like, hey, there's nobody talking about location independent businesses that aren't totally full of shit right now. Literally, everybody that was talking about this was selling the dream or selling how to make money. And we were like, well, we've got a real business. That seems like if we talked about real businesses, the types of businesses that the listeners are actually going to grow, then that is why we're better. right? And that was just enough. And I think when I talk to a lot of the new podcasters coming up, there's so much strategy talk. There's so much tactic talk. There's so many techniques and tips and tricks and how to do it and what timing and all this. That, that fundamental simplicity is lost, which is just, hey, how are you better? Can you be one step better in one simple direction? All right, point number two. So point number one, don't let it get you down. Just asking the question in the first place is hustle enough. Number two, undiagnose your problem. Ask yourself, like, what if my judgment about my situation is completely wrong? And why is this powerful. So what I see a lot, Ian, is if you knew the problem well, then you wouldn't be in the problem. So it's sort of self-defeating, right? Yeah. You ever talk to people who are like, oh, they like explain in minute detail why something didn't work out from a business perspective. It's like, well, wait a second. Like if you understood this so well, how did you get yourself in this situation? Exactly. But it's tempting. So here's my specific advice, which is Keep these diagnoses in the realm of hypotheses. Don't let them become theories because a theory is a hypothesis that works out through testing. Okay. You know, in the case of Rob's question, the diagnosis is I'm great at products and I'm not great at hustling. And that's dangerously becoming a theory. Rob, just to, you know, if we were talking across the table, I, we might challenge the notion like, well, are you great at products? And does that even matter? You know, it may not at all. The reason I mentioned the word hypothesis, Ian, is that all that matters for the hustle is what the actual outcomes are and how fast and ferocious you are at, at testing them. Getting to the point where it's so obvious where you're at and we're at an impasse and here's what the impasse looks like and I really understand it well that to me is probably not totally accurate. And I think what the hustler is going to do is just get back in the game with a ferocious velocity and get back at it and try to figure out their way to a better outcome. Also, I think, Dan, it probably boils down to a little bit of ego, right? And like, that's, I guess, like, you can tell me, Mr. Philosopher, but like, why all these people now are talking about stoicism in the business world, right? Because it's profitable. The same reason people talk about anything. <laughs> Getting back to the ego point, like 
Rob, whether you know it or not, and I do the same thing too, like you probably have a bit of an ego about like you being a good product developer. If you can just let go of that for a minute, a day, an hour, whatever it might take to be able to look back, to be able to zoom out of your situation, that might be the thing that's holding you back from being a good marketer. And I'll tell you, Dan, why it mattered like for me that I was like a product designer, right? Is because I just invested a bunch of money and time to go to university. I got a job. I had to hold on to that identity because at the time, that's what was valuable to me, right? But it was only until like I let go of that identity and like allowed myself to be other things like a CEO, an assembler of products in a warehouse, a janitor, an accountant, an accountant, right. I remember some of our early accounting conversations. And hey, dear hustle, you're going to find yourself in this position. Like, not a lot of people are going to want to hustle with you, right? At the beginning, especially. So you're like looking around. It's like somebody's got to do this accounting. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you are at that point. You're an accountant. But until I released myself of that title, of that ego as a product developer, like it was only at that point where I was able to start kind of filling these other roles. All right. Number two, undiagnose your problem. Number three, Ian, is hustle isn't a skill, it's an attitude. This idea that there's this body of knowledge that you need to digest and understand and practice in order to have desire, in order to have ambition, in order to muster up the courage and creativity to go out and approach people about getting important things done, I don't buy it. This is not a skill set that like these like blustery people that are outgoing have on the other side of the room or whatever. I got to go find one. No, it's like it's inside of you. It's why you're asking the question in the first place. It's an attitude and you already have it. So all you have to do is apply it rather than, you know, developing this whole new skill set. I want to unmarry this term hustle, Dan, in my own head right now and probably in a lot of other listeners' heads with Gary V. Everybody knows who Gary Vaynerchuk is. Yeah. He's like this guy in New York that hustle to him means like... He's this real New York guy. Hustle to him is like working until one in the morning and stuff like that. I like, I want to unmarry my vision and hopefully everyone else's vision from Gary V and just say hustle is not like sitting in front of your computer for like 13 hours a day. Like that's not what it is. It's about changing your attitude. Like you said, it's about dropping your ego. It's about being able to do a lot of things that you didn't think that you could do. You've heard Growth Ninja advertise their performance-based Facebook ad service before on this pod. But did you know that they have a generous referral program? It's serious. That pays out 20% of their lifetime earnings. They have referrers making thousands every month from this program. And some of them have been getting those payments for years. Think about it, just how big these payments can actually get. Let's do the math. So the biggest invoice Growth Ninja has ever sent out to an individual client was $56,000 in a single month. So if you were the referrer of that client, they'd send you a whopping $11,000 just for that month. And that's just one referral. So let your friends know about Growth Ninja. It pays. And of course, every month after that, that the client works with Growth Ninja, you get paid as well. So if you know anyone already running profitable Facebook ads campaigns and they're ready for some serious scale with a trusted agency that has profitably spent upwards of $65,000 
for a single client in a single Sunday. This is serious stuff. Check out their referral checklist at growthninja.com slash referral. And a big thanks to Growth Ninja for sponsoring the pod. Alrighty, and point number four, the quality of your network includes your customers. So we're talking about in the situation of the hustle element to the business. You know, should you recruit partners or employees or commission-based sales staff? <laughs> so it's very tempting to bring people into your business. And my concern with that approach is if you're pre-customers, pre-clients, it's the same hustle, right? Like building relationships with customers isn't that different than building them with partners. And so if you're at a point where you're sort of not able to develop quality relationships with a customer, I would be very concerned about what a concurrent relationship with a partner would look like. And that can be troubling because you see this on a lot of like pre-revenue, pre-customer businesses where the partnerships, they're sort of doomed for failure because there's no gravity to it, right? It wasn't sort of built on the framework of like relationships that are meaningful. And I'd just say meaningful in the sense like a customer relationship is a meaningful one because there's mutual risk, there's mutual benefit, there's things at stake. Whereas pre-revenue, pre-customer business partnership, you can avoid those things for months, maybe even I've seen people do it for years. Yeah. So let's just take a product example, right? Then we were in the portable bar market as well. Okay. So Imagine I'm a product designer. I've got this design. I did some innovations on the existing product line, but I'm just not a salesperson. Like, I don't think I can market this product, right? So I am going to go out and get a partner. Who is the best type of partner to get for that? Well, it's not somebody that promises you that they can sell these things. It's not somebody that does sales and something else and feels like they can transition over to the portable bar market. I think one of the only people that you might possibly partner up with is someone with deep, deep, deep industry knowledge, been in the industry for years, has a bunch of contacts, can pick up the phone tomorrow and add value to this business, can sell these products like hotcakes. Like You got 100 of them in your warehouse, 90 of them are gone tomorrow because that person comes into your business and says, hey, this is a great product. I can sell this tomorrow. Let's do it. But that's very rarely the case, right? Like A lot of times, me, Mr. Product Designer, gets together with someone else, like maybe I went to high school with them, they're in sales, kind of vaguely dissatisfied with their job. Hey, let's get together and sell these things. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're all pumped up about it. Doesn't usually go anywhere. Yeah. To me, it comes back to the attitude thing. It's like the ideal partner is someone who cares. And the people who care are going to do what's important for the business. Our best salespeople traditionally have been introverts who have an attention to detail. And that attention to detail drives them to the keen understanding that they need to pick up the blower if they want to make some sales. Let me say this too about like the best salespeople that we've ever had in our organizations. A lot of times they're not salespeople. Like you said, all they're doing is mining our customers for information. And through that mining process, those people become customers because we're more interested than all of the other providers are, if that makes sense. There you go. Right back to the point, boss, man. The quality of your network includes your customers. You don't have to treat them like they're this sort of like gaming the internet, their numbers in a sales funnel somewhere. Like call them and ask them about the things that matter to them. And if you can't have 
conversations with your customers that way, then how could you expect to have them with a partner? And here's what ends up happening, Dan, is you call these people your potential customers, you show them your product. If they're not interested, if they don't become your customers, if they don't feel that your features are innovative over the competition, well, then you have a product problem. And that's the sort of conversation that's going to drive you to be a great product person. Exactly. Number five, assume others won't help, and then maybe they will. There's a fantasy when there's a hard problem in front of you that like, if you just get the right person involved, that they can show you the way to solve it. And a time where this fantasy often materializes is when you're thinking about hiring a lawyer, strangely enough. <laughs> I'll tell you when the, uh, <laughs> when the right people get involved, in is when you're on a trajectory of something interesting. Because people start jumping on your bandwagon, people start coming into your company and they're like, hey, you guys are on to something. Like, I've been in this industry for 10 years. Like, you guys are doing it. Like, how can I help? That's the good kind of help, right? When you have no traction, when you're nowhere, when your product is mediocre, which most of them are, even a lot of our products were mediocre, people aren't going to help. Here's the bottom line. Like, it happens when you're hiring lawyers, it happens when you're hiring web developers, it happens when you're hiring commission salespeople. If you don't have a handle on the answer and you're expecting a third party to supply it, at best, maybe it's a recipe for getting duped because then you figure out in quick order that things aren't going to work out. In the worst case scenario, it's a recipe for just having someone mediocre and expensive along for the ride and they're going to obscure you from the solution for a really long time. I think the the takeaway for this point here is what would you do if nobody was going to solve this problem for you? You know, like what are your options if you have to solve it? What are your options if you've got to figure out how to build a successful business? I'll tell you what, Dan, this little sidebar, this reminds me, I uh, recently went dirt bike riding in the mountains of Colorado to some like really remote places. And the pack that I brought was like pretty substantial. And in it is like fire starter, a bunch of survival gear, right? Sleeping bags, things like that. Because the air is so thin up there that you cannot get a car up there. You cannot get a helicopter up there. So it's one of these situations, like if you find yourself out there with a problem, no one is going to help you. So when I'm packing my bag, I'm thinking about this, right? So it's not like, I don't just like leave the food at home because I'm like, ah, I'm not going to need it. I don't leave my knife at home. <laughs> like I bring all this stuff and it's like weighing on my back because it could be a life or death situation, right? And I think these businesses are one in the same. It's like you pack your bag, you go out on that expedition as if no one is going to help you because chances are no one will help you. All right, number six, Ian, on our path to finishing this episode is develop a deep understanding. Strengthen your strengths and do what only you can see is worth doing. Others will eventually see it too. And, you know, Rob asked, hey, should I focus on my strengths? Should I try to like solve this glaring, you know, hole in my skill set or whatever? And maybe that's not the problem set. Maybe those things aren't like a binary choice. What needs to happen and what happens at the core of successful enterprises is that there's a deep understanding. You know, people know what the next move is because they understand how those things work. 
when you start to see those things, you will see other people start to join you on that path. And by the way, like this can exist in all contexts. Like if you're not treating your job like you're the CEO of that business, like if you're not pointing out to the owner of that business what's going on, what the problems are, how things can be improved, how could you possibly ever expect to do it on your own terms? This sort of deep understanding, your engagement with your work, your ability to see how things are in and of themselves, to use a philosophical term, that's part of being a hustler. That's part of having this ability to break through these problems and get something off the ground. Everybody has the capacity to be a hustler. I don't think it means working 13 hours a day. I think it means considering what we've said today, doing a little self-reflection, maybe dropping your ego down a little bit, and figuring out how to change your life through these businesses if that's what you really want to do. Should I tell my Strokes video story right now? I don't know if you guys find this interesting, but here it goes. There's these videos. Ian, me and you both love the Strokes. All-time favorite band, yeah. American pride. I'm proud to be an American when I hear the Strokes play guitars. I was watching this video breakdown this guy will link up to how he does it, but he shows you how to play these guitar riffs. And I really believe that the Strokes were doing so many interesting things with their approach to layering in riffs and how they played chords together and stuff. And as a guitarist, they're a very fascinating band. And so I'm, I'm, I love these videos on YouTube about, about how to play their songs. Rewind to when, like a few years before we were starting this business, I was trying to start bands, Ian. I don't know if you ever came out and saw us in a club or whatever. I did. I think I did. I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> I was like, screw this entrepreneurship stuff. And so, you know, this idea of me, like pre-podcast, like looking at these strokes breakdown videos thinking, huh, like I kind of was in the area of all this stuff. Like hypothetically, I know enough to understand what they did and why it was brilliant, but I didn't know the fundamentals well enough to do it myself. The gap between those two things is enormous. I'm not a musician, Dan, but I'm a huge fan of music. And I watch these videos that you sent me. And it's basically, there's two guitarists in the strokes, right? So it plays the guitars together, one on top and one on bottom. And it's the same guy, pre-recorded, right? But then he puts them both together. And so you can see what exactly what they're doing at the same time. And my observation when we were talking about this was like, it's pretty simple what's going on here, but it's like super innovative. And the reason why I think that they were so successful is because they understand the fundamentals of number one, a rock song, and then number two, how to play the guitar. Yep. And like, because you understand these fundamentals, like you can dance and play around with it. And I think you see that in like all sports and disciplines and things like that. Like people who have a deep understanding of like how to operate a motorcycle, they can do amazing things. Yep. Absolutely. But if I could go back and like give myself a formula for success, it would be two things. First, develop this deep understanding of focusing on the fundamentals and understanding the fundamentals of songwriting better by breaking down really successful contemporary and classic songs and understanding exactly how they were working would have been one strategy. And then the second strategy would have been to be more ambitious about it and more competitive. And when you see that simplicity on the YouTube, you know, it's like the complexity of that all comes together when what they were doing with those fundamental elements was different and better than what other people were doing, even though the elements in retrospect look so simple. 
it can be the same with business. And so how do you develop a deep understanding? It's one of these things where it's like it doesn't really matter like what your degree says or what you think you're good at or what your friends have recognized you previously as being good at or whatever. All that matters is what you've done. Yeah. And so if you've written 10 songs that no one wants to listen to, you know, you're not a good songwriter. That's just that. The bottom line is if people aren't listening, they aren't listening. And this is to me why we keep coming back to this idea of apprenticing. The rarest and most valuable thing in a small business is for someone to rock up into that business and say, hey, I'm willing to like work under market value for you because I value learning over earning. Like We can use Rob as an example here. And again, Rob, you're a total trooper because we haven't talked on the phone. And I almost feel like I got to call Rob up now because you know, this is just generally speaking. But let's just take it at face value and say, let's say Rob is really good at designing products, but he really is not good at distributing them, which is a notion that we've challenged, but say it's true. Well, why not then go apprentice for a company that has a bunch of distribution channels? What founder is going to turn down a great product designer who's willing to work for pennies on the nickel to design products all day long? And then you're going to get those reps in. You're going to see how these things all work together And you're going to get to a point where you were when I was watching these strokes videos a few hours ago where I'm like, I could have been a stroke. I could have been a stroke, (laughs) you know, but I, I wasn't willing to look at the fundamentals and break it down. You know, and I wasn't willing to do the work in that way. Maybe there, that's another hustle. That's the sort of partnership that you can get involved in where you can develop a deep understanding, which is our sixth point. So to review number one, and I'll let you weigh in here, you know, I just got to, Go over these to cement them, the noble six-fold path to the Tao here. <laughs> We're just, just tossing in any philosophical reference. Number one, don't let the inevitable get you down. You're only here. You're only asking these questions because you're a hustler. Number two, undiagnose the problem. If you really knew what was so wrong, you wouldn't be in such a wrong position. Number three, hustle isn't a skill, it's an attitude. Number four, The quality of your network includes your customers. Number five, assume others won't help you. Imagine yourself as a motorcycle person in the high altitude mountains. No helicopter access. That's a wonderful image of the hustler. If we had like an artist working for this podcast, that would be the cover image. (laughs) (laughs) Number six, develop a deep understanding. There you go. Any parting shots, boss man? My parting shot is, Big ups to Rob. Not only is like the impasse that Rob is expressing a perpetual one and one that he'll continue and we'll all continue to encounter these challenges as we go along. You know, this is a lifelong thing. What I'm getting to is that, I mean, I had a career. I was like working jobs for a long time, learning about business, learning about how revenue gets put to the bottom line, learning about how to put out new product lines. So that process started years and years before we ever, you know, put up a domain and put up a shopping cart. So these things, they, they do take a long time to develop. They do, Dan. In my case, it took a very long time, since I was 15. Start now. Dan, I want to close the episode out with a song. Oh boy, nice. Because we've been talking about The Strokes. I wouldn't say it's my favorite song by any stretch of the imagination. It's a good song, and I think it fits this episode <laughs> well. And it's Heart in a Cage by The Strokes. 
All right, boss man. Great choice. Love this one. Wish I had written it, <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, I did not. I am not a stroke. <laughs> next time you're 18. All right, boss man. We will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.